Quality and safety are jobs of everyone in a healthcare system, from the front line to the board. And leadership on quality and safety often distinguish good healthcare systems from the best. That's why we're proud to invite you to the leadership track at this year's IHI National Forum, with over 20 sessions and courses designed to engage leaders at all levels in driving results. These sessions will help you learn how to support systematic and strategic improvement, build leadership capability, and teach you how to develop those leaders at all levels to support and enable improvement. You can explore the leadership track and others at this year's forum at IHI.org slash forum tracks. IHI's National Forum is being held this December in Orlando, Florida. Enroll by September 29th with the code EARLY to grab our early bird discount. That's E-A-R-L-Y. I'll be there in my blue shirt, and so will many of the excellent guests we've brought to you on this podcast. Their shirt colors may vary. Again, check out the form tracks at iChai.org slash form tracks, and make sure you use the code early if you enroll before September 29th. It's a really great event, and we hope you'll join us in December. Here's WHI. If ever there was a group of people willing to drink from a fire hose of information about healthcare quality without always understanding everything and often very early in the morning before heading off to one's real job, it has to be today's healthcare system boards of trustees. Some members have a background in healthcare, so they have a running start, especially with the jargon, and most trustees are offered board education, especially at the start of their terms. But getting up to speed is only part of the story. Many argue it's still way too murky what governance level responsibility for quality actually means concretely. And if there are best practices that every healthcare system board could be following, a lot of board members aren't familiar with that guidance. So how come? Well, our guests are lifelong learners and experts with this topic, so we're going to ask them on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And as many of you know, we are offered live, bi-weekly, and then we're available after the show on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. So we are having this discussion on the heels of a new blueprint for Leaders on Safety Culture, published by the IHI, NPSF, Lucian Leap Institute, and the American College of Healthcare Executives, what boards should routinely know, ask questions about, and then do with what they know is part of this blueprint, which we'll touch upon in just a moment. So grab your Danish and coffee and your seat at the boardroom table while IHI's John Gothier is going to remind you how to make the most of your time with us today. John. All right. Thanks, Madge. Where's my Danish? Um, Just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. Uh, On the right of the screen is the chat window. And if you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your question. So make sure your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all the questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listening to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable internet connection, we recommend calling in on the phone. But any, uh, if you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. Um, a simple solution to any audio hiccups may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play again. If that problem sticks, uh, please let the folks at iChai Customer Service know. We have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, uh, there's a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at 
org slash WHI, along with the chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WHI. Please take the time after the program to fill out a very quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Matt. All right. Thanks, John. We'll turn to the chat and your comments and questions at about the halfway mark of the show. We welcome tweeting during and after the program. Thanks for including at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets so we can connect with others with this conversation. Let me introduce our panels. So, panel, we have the great honor of everyone being in the studio today. So, I don't know what it is about September 15th, but uh, the stars were aligned. Uh, on my left here, we've got Stephen Muthing. He is co director of the James M. Anderson Center for Health Systems Excellence at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center and also professor of pediatrics at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. Dr. Muthing was one of the founders of the Children's Hospital Solution for Patient Safety. That's a network of more than 100 children's hospitals and now serves as its strategic advisor. We're going to hear more about that on today's show. It's got a big board and leadership connection. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Madge. Jim Conway is sitting across the table from me. What an honor. He served as an adjunct lecturer at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health in Boston from 2006 to 2016. His background includes senior leadership positions at IHI, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and Boston Children's Hospital. Areas of expertise include, drumroll, governance and executive leadership, patient safety, change management, crisis management, and patient and family-centered care. You'll get a big sense of this in a moment. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Matt. And to Jim's right, we have Tejal Gandhi. She is Chief Clinical and Safety Officer at IHI, leading IHI programs focused on improving patient and workforce safety. Tejal was the head of the National Patient Safety Foundation for several years before NPSF merged with IHI. Hurrah! This past May, she continues to serve as president at the now IHI and PSF, Lucian Leap Institute. Tejo speaks and writes a lot about safety as a system and where leadership and governance crucially fit in. So welcome. Thanks, Matt. All right, we're going to start with Tejo. Your name as an author, along with several of your colleagues, is on a lot of articles this year, or at least several, related to improving board and leadership engagement with quality, especially safety. And there was also a survey that you've uh, been talking about and helped spearhead. So I'm curious, what's prompting the attention? Is there something going on this year in particular or last year into this year? Well, I think um, the issue of board engagement has really um, been a longstanding one. It's not that this is a new issue necessarily um, in healthcare, but we did do a survey a couple of years ago that we published just this year where we surveyed board members and CEOs about board competency in quality and safety. And we found that patient safety events that result in harm are actually reviewed at less than half of all board meetings. And workforce safety dashboards are reviewed at even fewer board meetings. So 
even though we've been saying boards need to be engaged in quality and safety, the data from this self-reported survey is that often safety is not really being discussed at board meetings. And then less than two-thirds of board members report high knowledge and understanding of key safety concepts like just culture and disclosure and apology. And less than half of all organizations report having patient and family representatives on their board. So again, this has been longstanding. We've been talking about the fact that we need to educate board members, that we need to have patients on committees, and yet it seems like the gap is still there. So the other thing that's happened in the last year that's really drawn attention to this issue is the blueprint that you referenced earlier. Um, in May, we released a report, Leading a Culture of Safety, a Blueprint for Success. And uh, you can see here, for those listening in, there's a link to download that report. Um, and in this blueprint, we really give strategies and tactics for the C-suite on how to create a culture of safety. And it falls into six domains, and the domains are here as you see them. First, establish a compelling vision for safety, value trust, respect, and inclusion, establish organizational behavioral expectations, lead and reward a just culture, prioritize safety in the selection and development of leaders, and select, develop, and engage your board. So the expert group that, that really thought through how are we going to accelerate progress in safety, how are we going to accelerate a culture of safety, felt that this board engagement piece was a really critical component, which is why it ended up in these six domains within our report. Now, in the report, there's actually specific goals around what you should be doing when you select, develop, and engage your board. So um, the importance of it in terms of the safety and culture accountability has to be shared between the CEO and the board. The board needs to be responsible for oversight. And safety really needs to be foundational in how a board makes decisions. But to get to that, there are strategies and tactics that the CEO needs to do in terms of uh, engaging its the board. And so the education piece is really critical, and I know we'll hear more about that from uh, Steve and Jim. Uh, establishing the right metrics and dashboards and having adequate time for review and discussion, really critical. And then aligning compensation, for example, is another example. So this slide shows you a few examples of the strategies and tactics in the blueprint around board engagement. Um, and it's meant to be a guide for the C-suite to really move this um, this domain forward on that journey to a culture of safety. So I'm hopeful that there are many more conversations happening now about board engagement with some of the attention that the study and also this blueprint have, have brought to light. Okay. Uh, the Lucian Leap Institute, you also had a call about a week or so ago, uh, and um, I'm sure the board engagement uh, was talked about there as well, as I believe there were some interesting things said from, was that uh, Herman Memorial? Uh, Memorial Herman. Memorial yes. Herman. Sorry, exactly. the other way around. Yes. Uh, things that were so interesting in terms of boards, members who were actually on some management uh, committees, which mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't heard about. So that was kind of intriguing. All right, Tejal, thanks for starting us off. And uh, just about everything we reference on today's call, we'll either chat in the link or you can find it on the resource uh, document. So don't despair. We do uh, like to have the slide. We don't have time to go into each one, but we always hope that you'll uh, 
uh, spend some time with this material after the program, and you will see email addresses on everyone's bio slide uh, on the program if you have some particular questions. So, all right, now we're going to turn uh, to Jim Conway. So not to date ourselves, Jim, but you've been championing board engagement with QI, especially safety for many years. Um, and I can't think of anyone who maybe has a better sense of the progress uh, that's been made and where more work is needed. So you're going to tell us a little bit about that journey, uh, you know, and some of it has been very up close and personal. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Madge. It's an honor to be here, surrounded by people who are focused every day on continuous improvement. Yes, uh, for over 20 years, I have been really deeply trying to understand, both as an executive as well as a trustee, what best practices are around quality, including safety. And I can tell you today, many years later, the learning continues. I am appropriately scripted for this. Conway doing anything within a few minutes is a stretch goal, so we'll work hard to realize that. Um, In 2006, uh, if you look at the slide that we've loaded as part of IHI's 5 Million Lives campaign, we introduced the notion of getting boards on board. And just going through that element, it was all about setting aims, getting data and hear stories, establishing and monitoring system level metrics, changing the environment, the policies, the culture learning, continuous learning, and establishing executive accountability. In the years since Board on Board, which so many of you were involved in, elements of this have been widely applied around the world. There's been tremendous learning across the industry. We're hearing about some of it today. We heard a lot of it in the last call. And we have data showing significant improvement. But, and this always a but, It is not happening in every organization, and it's not happening every time. So here we are 11 years later. The learning continues with excellent new resources for boards coming out of IHI, NPSF, ACHE, and ACHE is my professional membership organization. I'm so proud that they're doing this work. The American Hospitals, and from many other professionals and professional execs. And let's look at one of these articles written by Tejo Gandhi and Gary Yates. And if we can just go back to the other slide, they said in these, which is very directionally consistent, builds on boards on boards, we need to establish a clear vision. We need to create a culture of safety, recruit a diverse board and provide board education. We need to hold effective board meetings, see things firsthand, and hold the C-suite accountable. Building on not every organization every time, Peter Senge in 1995 in his book, The Fifth Discipline, taught me the power of creative tension and using tension to achieve impact. And what Peter taught me is you have to not only set bold aims, but you have to confront the realities of practice. 
in the spirit of this WIHI, which is called Board Tune-Up, I've put together a diagnostic organized around boards and on board and the problems, barriers, challenges seen and heard over the last 10 years. I've had the privilege to consult all over the world, to teach for IHI for thousands of trustees. You will find this resource in the materials for, uh, which will be you'll be reminded about the location at the end of the call. And the goal with this diagnostic is together, governance and leadership will sit down, complete the diagnostic. It's sobering. It confronts realities. Discuss, seek out resources, come up with a plan, execute, and complete all those other cycles of the Plan, Do, Study Act. Of course, I'd love your reactions and any suggested improvements you have to it. In the balance of my opening comments, I'd like to focus on some learning we've had within Leahy Health around governance and executive leadership of quality, including safety, and setting bold aims and confronting the realities of practice. Back to Sankey again. Bold aims and realities of practice. Again, I've served as a trustee at the Winchester Hospital for eight years and at the Leahy Health System for the last two years, chairing the Board Quality Committee for the system. The first thing I want to talk about is setting aims. For many of us, it feels like we live in a world where multiple silos have each adopted the pile-on strategy. Just pile it on. A long time ago, I learned as a leader that if you try to do everything, you have to, you and you will accomplish nothing. For Leahy Health System, in setting our 2018 goals, we wanted our goals to be integrated across the system. We wanted the process by which we did it systematic. We wanted to unleash the power of our system while respecting the unique cultures and needs and requirements of the entities. While stretching and showing courage in setting our goals, we wanted to be realistic. And we organized these around the triple and quadruple aim. Key efforts in this process were one-on-one -on -one meetings, pre-reading. We did a leadership assessment using a tool called the Hospital Leadership Quality Assessment Tool. We had a full-day retreat with trust, all trustees and leadership, bringing in two outside experts from IHI and health partners to guide our learning. We've had two our ad hoc board committee meetings focusing our, our aim-setting process on very important questions IHI has taught us. What are we trying to accomplish? How will we know what changes and improvement? What changes can be an improvement? That's it, governance doing that. And we had a remarkable bi-directional discussion among clinical leaders, executive leaders, and trustees. We saw tremendous engagement, enthusiasm, our shared recommendation. It wasn't management submitting a plan for the board to approve. Our shared recommendations went to management to await final metrics and the rest of implementation. The last thing I want to touch on is getting to zero. In 2008, leadership of Winchester Hospital attended a program IHI had called the Executive Quality Academy. We were struck by a graphic we saw there that was attributed to Wellstar and um, Marsha Delk. And it was around the notion of how many patients have we harmed. Winchester Hospital chose to adopt it and open every board meeting with it. 
not just quality meetings. So let's look at slide three. Imagine this graphic sitting on your board every month where these were the patients you harmed. Imagine when the one-year-old's name went by. But wow, can you imagine if we went from, as we went from 108 to 38 events in a year? As the energies of the focus of governance and executive leadership move forward. And then if we go to the next slide, you will see that we went from 108 to 38 to 4. Had we mastered all harm, that was the area we went after. If you look at the next slide, you will see this is the current dashboard, and you will note that readmissions are now considered preventable harm. Specific categories of readmissions, the unplanned readmissions, so we have now gotten to that point at the suggestion of staff that we move in that data. We wanted to share this data all over the organization, not with the board. This new model was presented, spread across the institution. And if you look at the next slide, this is not eight-point font. This is slides that you will see posted in all public spaces at Winchester Hospital, cafeterias, main lobby. This one here was outside the cafeteria. It's 36 inches by 24 inches on the wall, and it also shows our patient harm as well as our staff harm bubble as we move forward in the same place. When we joined Leahy Health System, there was a lot of interest, respect for, and lots of questions around the, the Winchester Hospital bu bubble. And it was very clear to all of us, this isn't plug and play. It must be considered in line with each organization's culture, their priorities, where they are in the journey. I am very pleased to say as a system, two years later, all across Leahy Health System, we have implemented harm bubbles in all organizations. Today, I was at the behavioral health quality meeting, and we had a remarkably courageous discussion around the behavioral health harm bubble. I look forward to talking about these and any other things as part of the discussion. And just as I uh, close down, just commend the community of the Leahy Health System for the work that they've done in this area and for all of you out there who have informed our journey. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jim. Um, in addition to all of uh, Jim's slides, this very long link to Jim's diagnostic, which uh, we appreciate your you can click on it now. You can click on it later. I think Jim is uh, one person I know who absolutely puts stuff out for a lot of feedback and uh, really wants to know what people think of something that uh, he's working on. So this particular diagnostic, it's very interesting. It sort of follows the aims that he laid out earlier. Um, and it then uh, looks at, it, you have a sort of, you're supposed to check all that apply apply and I, I think it's it's going to resonate for many of you uh, too much there's a there's an awful lot of noise in the way 
um, sometimes, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of uh, being able to get to what you really want to work on. And I think, Jim, this story about Leahy and Winchester is sort of interesting in terms of how you how everyone gets very, very focused. Um, and maybe you can uh, you can say a few words about that now and we'll talk about more. Well, you, I, I also they become focused, but they become so proud. Yeah. Staff was so proud as we went through that journey and we went from a larger number to a much smaller number. Then, it, then they said, what are the harms going on? That wasn't isn't, And that's when the question of readmissions being caused and, and management and governance was actually a little surprised to have that come up. But it was people discovering their collective capacity as a governing board and staff throughout the organization. Uh-huh. Okay, very good. All right, think of questions and comments for Tejal and Jim, and then we're going to now uh, turn to Steve Muthink from Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center, the Anderson Center. So... Steve, you know, it sounds as though um, I think one theme, and certainly as we've been planning this, is that health system boards need good models uh, for doing all kinds of things. Uh, There's probably many too many discussions of everybody thinking they have to invent everything from scratch. And um, so tell us about what's been going on with this children's hospitals uh, network, the safety network uh, that you're part of. And um, Uh, what we can learn from them. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks, Madge. And uh, it's a real honor to be here with Tejal and Jim and and all of you on the line here. I wanted to share, it's really a story about what's going on with the Children's Hospital. And it's it's a movement that started and and is picking up pace. And I think the story that's relevant for today is our board members are not sitting on the sideline. They're part of the movement. So I want to give you just some background on what's going on that the Children's hospitals have gathered together. We have a shared mission that we're working together to eliminate serious harm across all the children's hospitals. What we've agreed to is your harm is my harm. We're all in this together, and we can do it better together than we can alone. We started with uh, a few hospitals. It really started in Ohio about 10 years ago. We're now up over 125 hospitals across the U.S. and Canada. And I just want to show some data. Uh, and it, we've. this is just one representation of the data. You can actually see all of our data on the website on solutionsforpatientsafety.org. But this is just to tempt you a little bit. That It shows that at least for seven of our common hospital-acquired conditions, we've reduced the rate over the U.S. and Canada across all these children's hospitals by over 35% over the years that you can see there. And this, there's more, but this is just a one flavor of it. Again, you can see lots more. The theory that we're working on is that it's a combination of work we need to do, and it's a combination of the reliable key processes, uh, figuring out how to do those well, learning how to become a high-reliability organization, and then really we're starting to work on the human factors aspects. It's not one curve or another curve. We're trying to learn all of this together, all at the same time. In regards to the process reliability, just to give you an example, we initially just asked hospitals to tell us by submitting data every month, what was the process you were using, how reliably were you doing it, and what was your harm rates? We had never shared data with each other. Now we share everything. And what we've done together is we've created the largest data set 
there's ever been that shows the connection between process reliability and harm rates in pediatrics. And what this has allowed us to do, and I'll show you on the next slide here, that we've created a method where we can actually identify best practices across the United States and Canada, and that allows all of us to adopt it together. So initially with volunteers who do intensive data submission, but once we identify the best practices and connect that to redux reduction in harm, everyone adopts it. So we're not relying on anyone else to identify the best practices. We're doing it ourselves. In the next slide, as I mentioned, we're going way beyond just process reliability. We're thinking deeply about what high reliability culture means, and we've adopted the same pattern. We've all adopted the same way to do root cause analyses, the same language, so we can actually, about 50 of us are already starting to share data on our serious safety events and our root causes together. And finally, how does all this happen? It happens through an incredible number of people, 50,000 people uh, work, it's probably more than that. Combination of virtual, face-to-face, -face, very intensive data support, all together, what this feels like and looks like is that we've created a movement, a culture of all teach, all learn. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been on your journey, you have something to teach and you have something to learn. So how does the board fit into this? And it's intensive. Uh, one way we do it is we have semi-annual learning events dedicated just to the board members. We just had one last week on the West Coast, but they actually get just as involved in the all teach, all learn. They are teaching sessions to each other. We bring them together for one and a half days. And interestingly, the senior leaders come along with them. Typically, they'll come in groups of two or three. Some actually bring bigger groups. And it's fascinating to watch this but it's not just to sit in an uh, auditorium and learn from the expert. They're teaching each other. They're sharing. They're identifying best practices. They're networking. We, they love to network. They, they want to get to know each other so the learning continues beyond the events. And they really focus on actionable learning. This, they they want to know the theory, but they really want to talk about what are the best practices and what can I do next week to go put that in place. It's the old saying of what am I going to do by next Tuesday. And lately, because so many of the children's hospitals are part of systems, we've been working out the, the fascinating interplay of whether we happen to be talking about a, a one-hospital board or a system-level board, and how does a children's hospital fit into the overall function of a system board. So finally, some things we've learned along the way here. They really have a strong desire to learn uh, and become adept at the safety knowledge. They're tired of not understanding acronyms. They're tired of not understanding what these management and frontline teams are talking about. They want to be able to ask uh, important questions. And this is a safe place for them to get together and ask the simple question. They want to know what the behaviors are that they can exhibit that really own culture. Should I know about every safety event? How should I respond to the kind of reports that Jim was talking about? They want to know literally what should I do during meetings, outside of meetings? What should I do when I go to the front line? What questions should I ask that are helpful? They want to figure out what does it mean to learn from all harm? Should I only know about the serious events? Should I know about all events? Should I go to, uh, should I expect that to come to the board meetings? Should I go to uh, frontline meetings? What should I do? And lately, I have to tell you, they become deeply engaged on staff safety. They've always been interested in patient safety. And what's fascinating is so many of these board members live this in their other lives. They lead organizations where staff safety has been uh, premier for years. And so that they are starting to realize, oh my God, Gosh, I've actually been learning this in my the rest of my life, and I can start to apply this in my board leadership. 
they're trying to figure out how to engage families effectively on their board, and then they really want to understand the data. They they know they're supposed to understand it, but they really want to know how should I interpret a run chart? How should I interpret special cause? Things like that, and they want to do this well in an all teach all learn format. So it's been exciting times. We're on a journey. We've reduced harm significantly, but the reality is we all know we have a long ways to go. Thank you so much uh, for all those succinct remarks, uh, Steve. And uh, I think it's uh, another very, very strong example. um, And I appreciate that. And some questions are starting to come in. So we've gotten at least set the platform here at the table for all of you. I want to just ask Tejo one more quick question before we open things up completely. So it's often said, of course, it starts at the top. And I'm just wondering for our discussion today about board engagement with quality focused on safety. What do you think the CEO needs to be saying to his or her team these days that kind of helps nourish that? And what do you think the board chair needs to be saying to the board members? Thanks, Madge. Um, Well, you know, the CEO is often kind of the the gatekeeper of the board. So it's really critical for the CEO to value the board's input and want more input. If that doesn't happen, I think this becomes very challenging. Um, But then when the CEO does commit to that, it is really important to tell his or her team some pretty important things. So one is it is the fiduciary responsibility of a board to understand and be accountable for quality and safety. So his or her team needs to know that and know that when they're being asked questions, it's for a reason that the board really is accountable and really needs to be engaged and it shouldn't be perceived as threatening um, or uh, disruptive. It needs to be thought of as a way that they can all improve together. So establishing that uh, culture within the team is really important. Um, And then there's some really practical things. I mean, and you know, Jim talks about this a lot, just having time for questions. If you have a 20 minute presentation and 30 seconds for questions, it's going to inhibit a lot of questions being asked and not using acronyms and jargon those kinds of things um, are going to be practical strategies to to embed into the leaders who are coming to present to encourage those good conversations. Um, For what a board chair needs to tell his or her board, I think one is also really setting that expectation that this is not just about finances and mergers and acquisitions. Your responsibility really is for quality and safety. And then setting the expectation around getting educated and really understanding what it is and what questions to ask. And I think another really important piece is that they shouldn't be intimidated. Often these are lay people who don't have a lot of healthcare background and they're in a room full of clinicians and they can feel intimidated about asking questions, yet their questions can be the most powerful and they need to understand that. Um, And then lastly, getting to the front lines. So there's a lot of strategies to have board members really get to the front lines of care to understand what the challenges are that the front lines are facing. And I think that's pretty critical for board members to do and a board chair can really do a lot to encourage that. So those are some uh, initial thoughts on that. One big question that maybe um, just very quickly again, and I, I, I promise you folks on the chat, we'll start with your questions. One other question is that I imagine, um, Tejal, we've talked about this, I think, in terms of, you know, just building the uh, strategy here at IHI, that there's a lot of stuff that board members are being asked to pay attention to. And, um, the you know, everything related to 
moving from um, volume to value, for example, and survival mode and a tremendous amount. How hard is it then to um, hold on to that safety uh, priority in that environment right now? I think it's particularly challenging right now, which is why this conversation is so important, because despite all of the other issues that boards are dealing with, the primary mission is to deliver high-quality, safe care to patients. So they cannot lose sight of that while they're thinking about everything else. And so you know, even looking at time on agendas on these topics and making sure that they get a fair um, shake, so to speak, is, is, is essential because it's really easy to get, um, and I don't want to say distracted, these are all important issues, but it's really uh, easy to spend more time on some of the things that seem to be the more urgent fires. Has that been a challenge uh, for at, at uh, Winchester Lake, Chip? Sure. Um, it, it is, unless you choose to not let it be. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the first things I wanted to comment on, building on Tejal's comments, is that we need to understand the very intimate relationship between clinical financial service and experience outcomes. You know, those on separate silos. So yesterday... We opened up one of our large institution quality committee meetings with celebrating all of the improved financial results we had due to improved quality metrics and our uh, contracts with major groups, major uh, providers. So th this was a very intimate view of, of value. People talk about value and everybody wants value, but we're seeing a very direct correlation between improved quality and reduced cost or, re or reduced cost of poor quality. You know, certainly it's a discussion, but that's why you have to have structured agendas. You have to have very specific, you know, one of the questions that's come up here is how long do we spend on quality at Winchester at a regular board meeting? Well, it depends because the meeting opens with the hum bubble. There is no meeting where the board of trustees begins where we don't open it with the patient hum and followed by staff hum. Then the first major report outside of some that may have timing is quality. But then yesterday we had a major report of the fiscal 2018 budget at Winchester. When we went to hear the finance report, we, we first heard management's report on quality, including safety and other things. So that discussion was anchored in the larger discussion of the, bu uh, the budget instead of having dueling silos go back and forth. I would say in a typical board meeting, we'll probably will spend a half hour, 45 minutes on quality. The board quality committee meets 10 times a uh, year. We also have system quality meetings that go on. So there's a lot of discussions, but there's very material time. It's not, somebody was telling me yesterday that they had seven minutes for the quality report. That's not what we're talking about here uh, to get this done. 
Okay, thank you very much. Steve, uh, feel free to build on that, but let me see if I can toss this question to you. Um, The board members, as somebody is saying here, Anne, aren't always, or usually, she's saying, clinically savvy. Uh, So she's asking how much detail around quality and safety events is recommended to share with board members, both to be transparent uh, and take advantage of their expertise and advice. Um, and maybe you could give some examples. I, I, as I read that question, I, I think it, it also sort of gets at this issue about how material is it sort of board education. Obviously, everybody has said is really, really important. But how much expertise do you need to have uh, to understand uh, a quality and safety report? Well, I'll take it to the example literally from last week when we were all together. And uh, one of the things uh, we break them up into small groups and we uh, we walk through something we call speed dating, where they go from table to table to learn about different safety topics. One of the tables had was all about uh, central line infections or clapsies. And we had somebody there showing them what a central line looks like, what it looks like to do the right care. And what they all came away with, almost to a, uh, a person, were saying, I understand much better the complexity of what is being presented to me. Do they need to know the, the correct schedule for scrubbing the hub or for um, changing the dressing? No. And that should not be the point of their questions. But what I saw and they talked about with each other is they're more confident now, and especially understanding that there is a best practice, they're more confident about being able to ask a question like, Are we sure we're using the best practices? Have we checked with other hospitals with lower rates? And are we confident that what we're doing is what should be done? And do you need clinical acumen to understand the details of all that? No. But it. I think what they said is it was moving them away from maybe a traditional que- answer and question, which was just do it, to understanding there's complexity. Uh, and they actually, a couple of them talked about, they will have somebody bring a central line to their board meeting and, and show everybody uh, in the old uh, pictures worth a thousand words. So I think they need to understand in general uh, what people are trying to accomplish, but they don't need the details to ask those crucial questions. As Tejal said, that question from a board member can really accelerate learning, uh, even though they don't know the details. Okay. Anything you want to say about that? I think there's sort of some interesting issues around uh, the board education and uh, sort of hopes in a way that board members will gain uh, more expertise. But I could imagine that could start to uh, be a challenge. Time. Um, oh, I agree. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, we're not we're not asking them to be clinical experts. We have plenty of those. But these are really smart, insightful people who can ask that insightful question. And they're more likely to do it if they at least know what a central line is, right? Which, you know, or what a Foley catheter is or any of these things. So there's some, like, basic things that if you don't know the real basic fundamentals, it's much harder to ask a question versus if you know enough that you kind of know what they're talking about in enough level that then you can you can throw out a good a good question. Mm-hmm. Thanks. 
Jim, a question for you. Uh, somebody, it's on your slide uh, but the, about describe the domains uh, that are being looked at for employee harm. Yeah, just in case they um, can't be seen, and I'll find my glasses too. <laughs> Falls, trips, uh, slips and trips, material handling, other miscellaneous, patient handling, injured by environment, injured by patient, and bloodborne uh, pathogens and shops. Those are the areas we're using right now. Um, what makes it serious harm to us is day lost. Any time lost makes it a serious harm. So on patient safety rounds, I've gone into clinical areas and I've met staff who have just returned from um, being out a few days because of being injured at work, one of them brought me into a patient's room and just showed me the amount of tubing that was around and cords that were around in the floor that they can trip over. So those are the areas that we focus in on. And again, this is a dynamic uh, diagram. What we've just done is engage, because patient handling, we were seeing more in that area from this bubble, we've engaged a special service working with PT and others to um, see what we can do to guide staff to reduce that further. Okay, thanks. Uh, David Grayson, if you want to, um, maybe everyone else understands your question, how do you balance safety one and safety two approaches? But in light of our focus today on board engagement with these issues, I wonder if you might elaborate uh, on that question uh, in the chat. But uh, far be it from me to show if you, if you get it, you can you can reply. Well, and I'm sure others, others yeah. here will have comments. I mean, safety one versus safety two is really the way I think about it, sort of proactive versus reactive active approaches to safety um, and you know safety uh, one is you know we have the, ad the the adverse event and then we do the root cause analysis learn from it for example whereas safety two is trying to pr proactively predict where there might be harm okay. and improve the the systems and I, I think that that's a really important construct to bring to the board as well especially when you think about board investment when you think about risk um, that the board needs to be thinking not just reactively about harm events but proactively actively about sort of this prevention and learning from things that go well. That's another component of safety, too, is, you know, let's celebrate the things that went well and Absolutely. learn from those as well. Yeah. And the one thing I'll add about this, and, and this is where we can help boards be even more effective, is that part of safety, too, as Tejal said, is learning from what's working. And so it's, again, you do not need to uh, have all the clinical uh, uh, expertise to be able to say, you know, I've noticed this area of the hospital is doing well in some particular area of staff safety or patient and safety in this area seems to be struggling are we getting these two areas together to see what's the differences and things like that and of course there's always some clinical differences but also that question can start to lead to wow we actually have variation within our system and we can learn from that just as well as we can learn from other uh, systems yeah Madge if I could just add one of the other things is we're discovering we have on our board people who understand safety too much better than we do we have one of our board quality leaders is out of the railway industry. Yes. And he has tremendous
tremendous expertise. Another one is out of the engineering field, and he has tremendous expertise in this area. We were fascinated in one of our special ad hoc meetings when he shared key learning from the aerospace industry relevant to proactively um, hardwiring high reliability into healthcare. So it, it can be very relevant for the board. Okay, great. We have a question of uh, going back to Tejal's opening remarks in which uh, from, from the survey that she described, less than half of all organizations report having patient and family representatives on their board and committees. Uh, one wonders if it relates to this question, which is what is the best way uh, to do this or what are we learning about uh, that inclusion so that it uh, really is a fruitful um, uh, you know, presence for the patient or family member and for the, uh, the board itself. Well, one thing I've learned is that this does seem hard for organizations. I mean, a lot of organizations are still not even doing what Jim described in terms of showing the harm with names or having a patient story. So even before having a board member, I think systems have to start really getting that patient voice um, at the table, maybe before or at the same time. The other thing that I think... the ch- uh, challenge is often I hear people say, well, our board members are all patients. Uh, and I think that's a mindset that we really need to change. A board member is not a typical patient, and you need to have patients on the board that are really representative of the community being served. And I think that that has been um, something that I've heard quite a few times that we need to move away from. Um, so, you know, I think there are challenges to doing it, but I think that to be successful at it, you need to really also, just as we've talked about educating board members, you need to bring in those patients who are representative of the community and give them the education, training, and support and sort of uh, uh, expertise to be able to ask questions and participate fully as opposed to being there and being silent. So, I mean, that's a really important component to making sure that this is going to be effective. Uh, I I just wanted to add, uh, this comes up all the time with the children's hospitals. And the reality is the children's hospitals are further along, uh, I think we're closer to 80 to 90%. And some people t- sometimes say, oh, that's just because you're pediatricians and you're nice or something. I, and maybe there's some truth to that. But I've seen it play out in these sessions where we get the board members together from different hospitals and they start challenging each other and they start saying, well, why wouldn't you do that? And mm-hmm. what's stopping you from doing that? And so it's so routine after they get exposed to some people doing it away from their particular board, they go home and and then they start asking that question, why aren't we doing this and what's stopping us from doing that? And so I think we – I just say all that to say it emphasizes we do need to let these folks learn from each other and, and let them challenge each other. We do it in medicine all the time. Doctors push each other. Administrators push each other. Nurses push each other. It's okay for board members to push each, mm-hmm. push each other to learn too. Mm-hmm. Great. A couple questions. Thanks, Steve. A couple questions for you, Jim. Uh, somebody is asking uh, – um, any well, first of all, let me ask you this question about storyboard. I don't know if it's a versus a dashboard. And I'm curious. You talked about you've obviously uh, Winchester and Leahy have definitely zeroed in on certain things around harm. I think a lot of board members um, aren't sure which is, are the metrics they're, they're supposed to be paying the most attention to, and that seems to be one of the things that uh, where there needs to be improvement. Um, but can you? describe kind of what seems to help the most for board understanding? 
Well, um, we went through a thoughtful process. So the, the first thing is, what does the board want to know? I can tell you that every one of our board chairs want to get to zero. And th there was absolutely no question. Okay. And uh, they clearly want to understand uh, serious adverse events, that, and they want to hear about them in real time, not waiting for the next board meeting. You know, but, but it's a, as I talked about, and I'd be happy to give people information more in detail, this was a very systematic process going through because we didn't want to duplicate the work of the entities. You know, so we also, at a system level, wanted to figure out where really could the system bring value. So readmissions was something we picked. C. diff is something we picked. But we've also picked opiates. And we've also picked some other key measures where we believe as an entity coming together, we could unleash the power of the system to drive improvement across the system as opposed to having to figure it out entity by entity. Um, but can discuss that more in detail if somebody wants to talk there. I also saw a question there about rounding and, and staff rounding. So what we do very simply is our group that does rounds is this chief, it's typically the CEO, the CNO, the CMO, the chair of the board. I go most rounds, and a few other trustees will come in and go on rounds. We assemble at the chief nurse's office. We go to the area. We engage with staff. We've been doing it probably for eight years, so this is a very natural process. People know about it. And we have very full and frank discussions on the units with staff. We then go back to um, the office of the chief nurse, and we debrief. What did we hear? What did we follow up? On a recent debriefing, we said we're not doing enough closing the loops and follow up. Rick Aziki, the chief quality officer for the system, is now looking at practices because we do rounds differently across all entities to really understand, based on our own system and what we're learning from people like Sarah Singer, what the best practices are. In the beginning, staff is cool to it, not because they just don't know. And, and But over time, staff absolutely buys into this and gets very engaged and attends. You know, we can typically get a large group sitting around a nursing station, uh, sitting around an area, just having an open conversation. Let me just end this saying the hot topic right now is workplace safety. Mm -hmm. Because of uh, violence in particular? Absolutely. Okay. And, and then the changing mix of the patient population and just the concern after concern about that. Okay. Okay. Do board meetings, um, I was thinking about the patient family representative and clearly board meetings have uh, clinical leaders and administrative leaders. Uh, do any, is there any argument for boards uh, having staff, uh, kind of frontline uh, staff uh, attend meetings from time to time? Does that come up uh, as a way to learn uh, about experience uh, around any issues? Curious about that. Uh, we, uh, I've been both at Winchester, at um, Northeast Healthcare, Beverly Addison Gilbert. Uh, when we're doing a little bit of a deep dive into an area, the staff team will come in and present to us. It's a wonderful opportunity to engage with staff. Um, we've also, uh, about a year ago or so, we had the uh, whole ED 
um, attend a board meeting so we could congratulate them on some work that they had done that achieved some uh, specific recollection, uh, um, excuse me, recognition. So I think there are great opportunities uh, to do that that have a huge impact on on what's the message that gets around the organization after the board meeting. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. We, we see that at a lot of the really children's hospitals that are moving along. I see it at our hospital. I, I think that opportunity gets back to what you said earlier, Jim. It, the staff really takes pride in what they're doing. And when it doesn't take much in a little bit of time with the board, honoring them for that work they do, it, it's amazing how much energy that can give a team uh, that lasts and gets them through some tough days. Mm-hmm. So, Thank you. A uh, quick uh, comment from uh, John. It's uh, quite relevant to what we're talking about now. Yeah, relevant and timely. Thanks, Madge. Uh, we just wanted to remind uh, today's WIHI listeners that they're invited to continue this discussion on board engagement at the IHI NPSF Lucian Leap Institute Forum and Keynote Dinner, uh, which is being held September 28th in Boston. Um, in its 10th year, uh, the afternoon forum includes a panel discussion and Q&A with healthcare executives and board members from healthcare systems that are uh, leading the way in board engagement. So this dinner will be keynoted by Dr. uh, Kristen Bibbins-Domingo, who's the Lee Goldman Endowed Chair in Medicine and a professor of medicine at uh, UCSF, which is the University of California in San Francisco. And uh, Dr. Bibbins-Domingo is an expert in evidence-based prevention in both clinical and public health settings, and she's the director of UCSF's Center for Vulnerable Populations. Uh, We really think WIHI listeners will be uh, will appreciate her keynote. Um, again, the forum and dinner will be held on September 28th. And for more information about how to attend, please visit mpsf.org LLI 2017. All right. Thanks a lot, uh, John. And uh, I think just a footnote to that is the event earlier in the day, Jim, uh, will be uh, talking uh, more on this uh, topic. So we've got a, a way to continue it. Um, I want to, I, I guess we're kind of in a wrap up mode here. I want to thank everyone for your questions and comments and also again encourage you if things come up uh, after today's hour with us and you're looking over some slides uh, you would do see some email addresses or you can always email info at IHI.org and we'll uh, make sure we can address this. Um, I'm going to go around the horn and just as a way of wrapping up but I'm going to uh, have a Tejo John, in her uh, pack at the beginning, we talked uh, uh, self-assessment tools. I think Jim's diagnostic and this, which comes from uh, one of the uh, appendices in the um, uh, blueprint uh, book uh, on culture, safety culture, these self-assessment tools, um, I I can imagine, can be very, very helpful and very revealing uh, as far as what (laughs) what your standard might be and kind of where you are. So I wanted uh, Tejal to be sure to mention those. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, in the appendix of the blueprint, as Madge mentioned, there is a self-assessment tool and it covers all six domains of the blueprint of how to create a culture of safety, of which board engagement is one. Um, And the idea is to bring a team together, a diverse team, including the C-suite, frontline staff, board members, bring them all together to walk through it and, and really honestly assess how you're doing on some of these particular strategies and tactics and then develop action plans around how to improve. And so on the next slide, there's actually a 
little bit of a deeper dive into the board engagement self-assessment. Jim's Diagnostic has a lot more detail, but this is kind of a high-level way to get started where it really talks about time at boards uh, spent on quality and safety, about board education and how well it's going in your organization, and then um, whether performance assessments of executives include measures of performance and quality and safety. And it's just a high-level screening tool, really, of you know where do you stand on board engagement, and then there's strategies and tactics you can use to improve. All right. Thanks so much. And thanks, Tejal. really appreciate uh, your participation on the program today. It's very exciting uh, to be working with Tejal here at IHI, and I I hope we can come back to uh, to the board uh, issues again, uh, maybe some of the some specific issues here, because I think there's a lot of detail even uh, in, in, in some sense that I'm sure people are hungry for in terms of how to do it well. So thanks very much. Jim, let me turn to you. Um, it's always fantastic to kind of hear you're, you're just a lifelong learner uh, and a teacher. And I, um, I, what, what are you, I suppose, kind of most uh, looking forward to in kind of uh, the next wave or some of the challenges, would you say, that uh, in your role you'll, you'll be facing as a board member? Well, I think uh, IHI uses the term, the, the term sense-making, and I think one of the things that we have to do is get far more systematic in the work because when I'm talking with both governing board members and frontline staff, they want to go there. They're not the least bit confused about achieving the bold aims, but there are barriers in the way and just building off of the assessment. So when we did our self-assessment at the Leahy Health System, three R's showed up. Recognition. We never thank people for the amazing job that we do. The second R, and hopefully I don't forget the third, is resources. Quite often we have endless problems, but we're not necessarily fueling them. And the final one is understanding who's on first, responsibility. And particularly when you're working in large systems and large organizations, it's really confusing who's doing what. So I just end this on the power of having the courage to do a self-assessment and then use the data to drive change and improvement because there's a whole bunch of people who want to go there. So thank you very much, Jim Conway. Always wonderful to have you. And I want to remind people again, Vicki put the link up there in that blueprint. You can find uh, the self-assessment uh, materials uh, towards the back, uh, but we certainly hope you'll read what's ahead before it. And take a look at the diagnostic uh, that Jim's working on, and please let him know what you think of it. So Steve Muthing, you, uh, in many ways, your participation here showed us, wow, what could be possible uh, with some a very, very coherent program that's going on with the children's hospitals. And so I'm wondering, how can more people learn about that? Uh, and uh, is it a model mostly, you think, for children's hospitals? Or do you think it's really got, um, it can be applied really uh, to uh, lots of entities right now? I, I would have to say, I would love to say we came up with this idea. It's in essence what's happening in every other industry that's really uh, getting ahead in safety. They've uh, accepted the fact that the only way they're going to get there is learning together. So uh, 
the children's hospitals are doing it, but we didn't come up with it. We're, we've learned it from other industries. And um, so sharing data, all teach, all learn. And I just have to say, we've come to the realization that if you're creating a key driver diagram with the goal of eliminating serious harm, having an active, engaged board uh, really helping lead this work is a key driver. And uh, that's why I'm thrilled to hear this won't this won't be a uh, isolated uh, topic on this. You'll, you'll get back to it often, which I, I hope we do. Me too. And uh, maybe you can all promise you'll come to the studio again. <laughs> thank you very much. I want to thank the, our panel today, Tejal, Jim, and Steve. I want to thank the uh, audience uh, as well for your wonderful participation. Next up on WIHI on October 12th, we're going to be looking at uh, really amazing work that's been going on around uh, reducing homelessness in many ways, borrowing uh, from a QI and uh, also having that audacious goal of zero. And in this case, we'll be looking at what's going on with veterans uh, and an interesting uh, effort there. A reminder, you can download the chat and any slides we use today, any materials uh, when you log off the show, but you'll also find everything on the archive page when that's posted. Any questions whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org. Great group of people help make WIHI possible. There are John Gothier, Matt Morris, Vicki Minden, Haley Ladd, Joanna Carmona, Jameson Case, Val Weber, Mina Hadley, and Kiki Yee. And as always, it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.